Welcome in everyone to episode 118 of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damien here with David and Matt. And this week we're going to bring the NL West offseason. Uh, dang, I forget. I mess this up every week, guys. It's the offseason uh, breakdown, recap, recap breakdown. whatever. I, I mess it up every week. Anyways, David, how are we doing this week? I'm doing all right. Looking forward to talking about the NL West. We've been seeing some World Baseball Classics, some March Madness action this last weekend. That one uh, kind of sucked up my week, but uh, looking looking like fun, and uh, hopefully we're we're getting really close to opening day. So uh, this is our final like off-season breakdown episode. I'm uh, excited to talk about the NL West. So before we get started, how you doing, Matt? Doing pretty good. Uh, been doing a little bit of the same, watching the World Baseball Classic. Uh, it's been a lot of fun this year, and I just got done watching Roki Sasaki pitch some tonight, which was the first time I got to see him. That was a lot of fun. He's he's really really good. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been been good. Watched March Madness as well. I actually went to a couple tournament games, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, we had they were hosted in Birmingham this year, so uh, got to go see Auburn, Auburn play against Iowa and Houston play against Northern Kentucky. So that was a really fun, uh, fun event to go to, but, uh, but yeah, everything's good. Ready to talk a little baseball. How, uh, how are you doing this week, Damien? Uh, just basically copy, paste and retweet what you guys just said. It's world baseball classic. It's March madness. Um, you know, throw in a little bit of racing throughout the weekend. Uh, so, I'm excited. The World Baseball Classic's been a lot of fun to watch a lot of these players that we don't get to see, um, you know, on a daily basis in the majors play. The energy feels like playoff baseball, um, even maybe even bigger than most playoff games. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun. Can't wait to do one of our episodes talking about that here in the next week or so. Um, you know, and then obviously March Madness. It's the upsets are wild. It's March, so. Uh, anything's possible on that one, but let's go ahead and jump in and start with the the uh, NL West recap. And go ahead and start with Colorado, the Colorado Rockies. They finished sixty eight ninety four, finished forty three games back in this division. It's a big yikes, but David, who are you? Uh, who are you excited for or looking forward to for twenty twenty three for them? Yeah, I'm, I, it's David no surprise. 20, probably, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm it's no surprise probably that I jumped on Chris Bryant, uh, for this one, he, you know, coming off of a, a season of injury, uh, which kind of bordered another injury in 2021 that cost him some time. And, you know, 2020 was cut short due to injury. 2018 was cut short due to injury. Um, you know, Chris Bryant's kind of lost the luster of being that MVP level player that he was to start his career with the Cubs, uh, you know, seven war type of guy from 2015 through 2017. But, you know, since then only one season above, well, two seasons above three war, but last year was really good in his short time with the Colorado, but got shut down early has been looking really strong this spring. The question is, can he stay healthy? But, you know, having watched Chris Bryant for six years, I can firmly say that if, you know, he is healthy. He changes Colorado's offense completely from being kind of a pedestrian offense with some league average guys to uh, really impactful. Um, this is a guy who, if you kind of blindly looked at his resume and were like, oh, this guy's got 30 war through age 30. I mean, he's probably on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And then you kind of delved deeper and were like, wow, you know, he... <laughs> 
he's just kind of fallen off a cliff. And if he could just stay on the field, he'd probably be there, you know, locked. So, you know, Chris Bryant's projected for something like three war, you know, a 120 WRC plus. I think he smashes that if he's healthy. And if he's not, you know, he, he tends to play through injuries from time to time. Um, with the Cubs, he played through a couple of different injuries that really cost him like some skill. But when he is on, he is such a game changer for the offense. He's versatile. He played third base, left field. You know, in Colorado, that's pretty important. Left field's so so spacious there. So I think his defense will actually really be a, useful for them. They just they haven't been able to see it. Um, but Chris Bryant and Coors, I'm excited to see if he can actually put together like a really good season and uh, pray and he stays healthy, man. Cause if he does, Chris Bryant's the kind of guy who could just go out and win an MVP, you know, cause he has done it before. It's just a matter of him staying on the field. Yeah. So Matt, I like Chris are, Bryant as you, well. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I like Chris Bryant as well. Just, I mean, I just worry about his ability to stay healthy, but I, I'm a hundred percent behind you on, on everything you said there. Um, the guy I, I wanted to pick is actually the most recent MLB player to sign, um, and it is Jerks and Profar. He was, uh, you know, with the Padres the last couple of years, had a, had a couple pretty good seasons. Um, you know, this past year he put up a, a respectable stat line, put up put up pretty good on base percentages there, um, and uh, you know, two and a half WAR in 2022 was solid. Um, the thing about uh, Jerks and Profar that I really like here is that. He's a guy who makes a lot of contact. He he walks a lot. He's got great plate discipline skills. But the thing is, a lot of those early career injuries he had kind of zapped his ability to, you know, hit the ball really hard. Uh, his average exit velocity was in the 22nd percentile this year, a very low barrel rate. Um, just he struggles to, to really, you know, impact the ball consistently. His max exit velocity was about league average. But the thing is, when you're in course field, uh, you know, you're going to be able to do some things to run a higher Babbitt. Guys who hit the ball, who do hit the ball in the air that are, uh, you know, maybe don't hit it as hard, that, that's like the perfect fit for, for Coors Field. So I could see him running something like a 350, 360 on base percentage this year with a uptick in some of the, um, in some of his, uh, you know, Babbitt metrics to, uh, you know, if he can figure out how to at least play a respectable defense in the outfield or wherever they play him, I think he could run a 115, 120 WRC plus this year, be a really solid contributor for the uh, for the Rockies. So I, I like that signing. I thought it kind of fit what Coors Field can do for a player, and uh, I think it'll be a good look for him going forward. But uh, Damian, uh, who do you who do you have? I wanted to go with Brendan Rodgers, but he ended up getting hurt and he's out for the year. So I ended up going with uh, Ryan McMahon. Uh, McMahon is a guy who had the prospect pedigree as, you know, hit for a ton of power in his time uh, in the majors so far. Has kind of broke out the last couple of years, been one of the best defensive players in the game, um, you know, hit 20 homers both of the last couple seasons, uh, walks a, a pretty good amount, strikes out a little bit too much. You'd like to see that strikeout rate come down just a little bit. Um, but he's kind of becoming more of that focal point of this team, the leader of the team, uh, the one that they wanted to build around with him and Rodgers. And I've really been impressed with his last couple of years. I'm looking for him to take that little step forward. I know the WRC plus, you know, doesn't show that he's been a league average hitter the last couple of years. But I just think that if you look at all the underlying metrics, like his baseball savant page, his exit velocity and max exit velocity are up 90th percentile, hard hit rates, 83rd percentile, like barrel rate, walk rate, everything's good. The only thing that is blue or under 
league average is his K and whiff rate. Like if you sort that out just a little bit, I think you're looking at a guy who has really big upside for this team. And they, they kind of need somebody that has that upside that can take the next step here. And I'm, I really think Ryan McMahon can do that this season. But uh, as far as players we're worried about, David, who do you, who do you got on that front? Yeah, I'll, I'll take Herman Marquez, uh, who is kind of their penciled in ace for the last several years. Um, Marquez is the type of guy who could be a superstar placed in the right situation. He has the stuff. He's got the velocity. He's got the, the secondary pitches. But the biggest problem for him the last several years has been his home versus away splits. And it's the kind of the, the going story for Colorado. Uh, my thought is that as Herman Marquez comes up on his free agent year and as Colorado drops out of the race, he could get traded. So I'm worried about Herman Marquez continuing to suffer from these kind of home road course splits that I think affect his ability to pitch effectively. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, he was kind of on his way to a perfect game pitching in Seattle. Uh, so some teams going to be able to trade for him at the off season or like at the deadline. And once that happens, presuming the Rockies actually trade him, we'll talk about what's, what they're actually going to do here in a little bit, but presuming the Rockies trade him, I like Herman Marquez, but until then I'm going to be worried about him just because he's stuck in Coors field and it always seems to damage those pitchers. So uh, Matt, who you got for your uh, dislike or worry? Well, it's not really somebody I'm worried about that much. It's just somebody I dislike, and I mean, it's hard to it's hard to worry about a player that you know is bad. Uh, but Jose Urania, I, I don't understand the Rockies having him in their rotation still. He's just not a big league quality pitcher at this stage. And um, the thing I I really don't like about him is the fact that he's never been a good control pitcher, and he doesn't strike people out. And when you're in cores, I mean, you either have to get like. 60% ground ball plus, like being an elite ground ball guy, or strike people out. Because if you're giving up balls that are hit in the air at a consistent rate, giving up a lot of balls in play, like it's just not going to work out well at all in cores. So, I mean, he, you know, I mean, I think this is just going to go poorly. And you could say that about a bunch of their pitchers that they have, but um, it, it's really an impossible situation to try to build a pitching staff in Colorado. But um, definitely not a guy that I'm really, um, you know, thinking is going to be very good. And I also just wanted to pick him as the guy I don't like because he intentionally hit Acuna a few years ago. So I'm just going to throw that out there. But it's a projected 565 ERA this year, which is unbelievably bad. Yeah, Urania's not good. I think we all know that one. But uh, the guy I went with is a guy who is a franchise cornerstone for the Rockies, has been great for them for many, many years. but Ever since the 2020 season, and really it's been 2021 and 2022, he has just fallen off a cliff. Um, like Charlie Blackman, he is not that good anymore. Like he's lost all the thump in his bat. I know it says he hit 16 homers last year and 13 homers the year before that, but those are really big Coors, aided homers. Like his his WRC plus is in 2019 was 127. He's fallen all the way down to 89 this last year. Never been a good defender. Uh, and the bat, you know, has just really fallen off the cliff. And it, it's, he's always a fun player to watch, but it's been really hard watching him the last couple of years. Um, I just, I hope he can find the, the, 
renaissance this you know these last couple years of his career being what is he 36 this year um he's he's a guy you root for but i'm just really really worried about you know what the bat has started to look like out especially outside of coors but even there if, if you're posting wrc pluses of 10 percent below league average you know as your home ballpark is coors something's not really working but um so or what's your grade and your outlook for the 2023 season david so I, I gave this, de- this team a D minus in terms of offseason, and it would have been an F if had they not signed Jerks and Profar, where I completely agree with Matt that that was a good signing. I think Profar will be really good uh, in Coors and in this kind of organization. The, the issue for the Rockies lies in their owner, uh, Dick Monfort. Uh, I, I just looked it up because he kind of made headlines over the, the offseason. Back when the Padres went kind of crazy and spent a ton on Xander Bogarts and, uh, you know, so th- those other kind of spending spree that they went on, he was like criticizing it and saying that, you know, that was a, a bad thing and th- that they were spending so much. But really, it, it, he's only saying that because the Rockies are unwilling to do that. Right. They're unwilling to commit to the players that that have have built them up. Right. They're unwilling. They were unwilling to commit to Nolan Arenado and traded him for Austin Gomber. Right. They were unwilling. You know, they committed to Charlie Blackman and he ended up not being quite as good. Right. But they they haven't committed to anybody else. They they often trade off. And then on top of that, this offseason, Dick Monfort said that they never will tank. Well, that's not working, right? Nothing they're doing is working. They've got a team that he also said, the owner said, maybe they can play 500 ball. And if you look at this roster, right? I mean, that would require, right? Chris Bryant being healthy, Profar being the best, you know, free agent signing of the off season, CJ Crone doing what he did last year, but even getting on base more, right? Like you need just a a complete revamp. Like you need Ezekiel Tovar to be incredible, the, the the pitching needs to not be just like not atrocious, and I doubt it will be because Herman Marquez is the most talented one, and he can't he can't get going. Like this is a team that needs like an organizational re restructuring and rebuild, and I, I don't think it's going to happen, right? Based on their comments, I don't even know if they'll even trade Herman Marquez, even though he's in the last year of his contract, and it make it'll make sense to trade him if they're out of the deadline. But you know, th- this team seems completely directionless. It is all from the ownership side of things. And this is probably the worst ownership group in sports because they've kept this team held down under the guise of pretending to compete without actually, you know, making these kind of empty, empty signings. It's just not good business and it's not good for Rockies fans. Um, You know, it's, it's no wonder that Colorado is kind of in the state they are. And we're talking about them first in a very tough and competitive NL West with a lot of high spenders. So what about you, Matt? Yeah, I give them a D for the offseason. I mean, I do like the Profar signing, but uh, they really didn't do much else. I mean, they, they're they just not – like David said, they just don't have a direction. I mean, and I don't, I don't like their other signings they made. I mean, I, I guess Pierce Johnson's maybe wouldn't be a bad signing anywhere else, but – I mean, Brad Hand is already cooked and gives up tons of home runs, and now you're taking him to Coors and you're giving him a major league contract. I mean, what in the world? <laughs> like, um, I mean, they didn't really do anything else. And and then, you know, it's it's tough because um, 
I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand any of that. And then, I mean, this, they just don't, we don't, where are we headed? Like we, we don't have a direction here. Like, like David said, I mean, you either need to rebuild or, I mean, you need to rebuild. Cause even if you signed all the free agents in the world, you're not going to make this team good. I mean, and I will give the, the ownership a tiny bit of credit. In the fact that like some of these other ownerships that are saying similar things have never signed a big contract before. And at least they signed a big contract like Chris Bryant and, Arenado when he signed the contract. I mean, they, but they just they have they're directionless. They don't have anywhere to go. Like they're they're not going. I mean, I, I like they need to trade like McMahon. They need to trade Crone while they could if, if they could even get something for him. I mean, they needed to trade Marquez like two years ago. I mean, and I don't think they're going to. They keep just hanging on to these guys and letting them walk in free agency and not getting anything but but maybe a comp pick back for them. And then they blow the comp pick on a pitcher that doesn't fit cores, which is a whole other a whole other thing is what are you going to do about building a pitching staff? Because we're going on 25 years of Coors Field and, and, or 20 years of Coors Field and Rockies baseball, and they still have yet to have a good pitching staff. And I mean, part of that's because their ERAs are going to be higher just because of where they're at, but you can at least make them relatively good to other Rocky staffs, and they just have never put on a even somewhat decent pitching staff. And, I mean, this team's going to have a higher floor than other awful teams because of playing in cores, and they're used to playing half their games in cores while other teams aren't, but they're also going to lose a lot of games from playing on the road and not being used to seeing the type of pitching they'll see on the road. So, I mean... This team is really bad. I think they're the worst team in this division, and I just I don't know where they need, I don't know where to go here. I, I just they're kind of they're honestly, with the exception of maybe Oakland, I think they're the worst situation in the big leagues right now. And, and Oakland mainly just because not because they don't have a direction, but because they I just don't like a lot of the moves they've made in that direction. Yeah, I, I echo everything you guys pretty much said. I gave them a D as well. They didn't do much. Even the Profar signing just happened a couple of days ago. I mean, it's it's nothing that was even in the beginning of the offseason or or anything. They're going to be in the bottom of this division. They're not going to be a good team. Um, you know, you guys mentioned they, their unwillingness to unload pieces. I mean, you did Arenado basically because he forced you to with an opt-out. You didn't do anything with Story. You didn't do anything with John Gray. Like both of those guys, you could have probably got decent prospects for there, but you just waited and wanted to give them the qualifying offer. It's head scratching. You know, you need to be able to, in, even in at the deadline, if you know you're not going to be good, flip pieces. You should have traded Chrome last year. Like it's all head scratching. It's why they're bad. Um, they're going to struggle to be good for the next few years because they're going to have to either, you know, do what the Rangers have done for the past couple of years, but for three or four years, or you're going to have to make some big moves, which I just not sure where that's going to happen, or you just need to tank. And obviously their owner said they're not going to tank. And at one point he even said that he feels they can be compete in this division right now. So if he really thinks that that's, that's head scratching, but uh, I don't think so. I think he's just, he's just trying to get them, get fans to show up. Yeah. But he still put it up on paper. That's the problem. But uh, let's go ahead and move over to Arizona. Uh, to the Diamondbacks and David, who do you got that you like with them? Yeah, so I I'm going with Zach Gallen. Uh, this one was pretty easy for me, but I, I, it's just because you know you take a look at Zach Gallen's season last year. You know he started off with a 3.56 ERA in the first half, 
you know, a fairly pedestrian strikeout rate, good walk rate, but just, you know, very Zach Gallon things. And then he went into the second half of the season and he was the best pitcher in baseball. Uh, you know, by wins above replacement, had a 2.07 FIP, a one, uh, sorry, a 149 ERA in the second half last year. Just a, a monster, monster second half. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, I would understand if it was kind of out of nowhere and, but Zach Gallant's been able to throw up an, a sub two ERA every year, except for 2021. Um, and that was the sticky stuff ban. But last year he was able to unlock something in that second half where he wasn't walking anybody. He was striking everybody out. Um, you know, this is the the type of guy who has really good stuff and is able to keep the ball on the ground really well. And if he can get swings and misses, um, he becomes a very dangerous pitcher. Uh, you know, he's he's not going to overpower you, but he does have the the kind of crafty off speeds to be able to get a lot of uh, a lot of swing and miss. And he, he's able to eat up those innings. At least he was last year, right? 184 innings pitched. And that was the first time he's in, been able to do that. So. I'm excited about Zach Gallon because he's shown those flashes of being an ace. And now it's like, you know, the, everybody knows this is, you know, this is his Arizona rotation. He's the ace of this group. Can he put together a, another really good season? Can he have a full season like the the second half he just had? That's the question, but I really like Zach Gallon. I really like his stuff. So I say, yes, I think he's going to come out and have a really strong year. I'm probably not going to pick him for Cy Young, but I think he's definitely in that conversation based on that second half. So, uh, Matt, who do you like from Arizona? Yeah, the guy I wanted to pick was Christian Walker. Uh, this guy had a very, very, very good 2022. Uh, put up a 242, 327, 477 slash line, hit 36 home runs, a 122 WRC+. Plus. And he did that while also being the best defensive first baseman in baseball. He put up 14 outs above average. Uh, won, I believe he won the gold glove. Um, and he was outstanding last year. And that comes with also having a very low batting average on balls in play compared to his previous track record. In 2019 to 2021, he was above 300 on his batting average on balls in play every single year. Until last year, he was at 248. So he did increase his launch angle just a little bit. But not by enough to like offset that, and I think that he's a guy that, with a little bit more batting at uh, batted ball luck, could end up putting up an insane line at some at some point if he can continue hitting with the power he hit with last year. He had a um, he out underperformed his expected batting average based on Statcast metrics by like 15 points last year. His expected slugging by like 10 points. So. This guy in 2022 was really good, and there's signs, there's reasons to believe he could be even better in 2023. Um, I, I think he's, you know, a very good player. He is going to be 32, so this is, you know, kind of probably the peak. Um, but I really like Christian Walker. He's a guy that's kind of under the radar for a long time, and then in 2022, all of a sudden, got he swung less was part of his his improvement. He just got a lot better, and he's a very, very good player, and I'm excited to see what he does this year. Yeah, Christian Walker just hits tanks. He's he's a he's a threat at the plate every single time. But the guy I went with was uh, Josh Rojas. Uh, he really emerged as their starting third baseman this uh, last year. I think he's going to be more of a utility role this year with them signing Evan Longoria um, to kind of take over the third base role, but. Uh, over the past two years, he's been about a 265 hitter, 340 on base, uh, 
had a WRC plus of about 105 between the two years, really took a step forward defensively last year. Um, but the thing that I was really impressed with in 2022 is he found the ability to run the bases a lot better. It went from nine steals to 23 steals last year. Um, the power dropped just a couple, but that's also because he had 40 less plate appearances. He'd probably have the same power numbers. Strikeout rate really dropped about 5% as well. I'm, ex- you know, he's improved every single year. He's been in the majors. So I expect him to take another little step forward this year. And it's going to be interesting to see how he's able to steal bases this year, especially with the new rules where that moves forward. Um, and be going back to becoming a utility guy because he really took a step forward at third base defensively. So it's going to be interesting to see if that translates to that utility-ish role, playing some first, some second, some third, maybe even some outfield. Um, so Josh Rojas is a guy that I really am looking forward to for 2023. Uh, but David, who are you worried about? Yeah, so All right, my worry Matt, who are you player is... <laughs> I'm there. What? Sounds like David's talking while muted or his internet's out. You're back now, but you were, there was like 10 seconds. I was, I had unmuted it and started talking, but uh, I think it's just on a little bit of a lag. Um, So Kettle Marte is the one I'm worried about, but it's, it's not, you know, you know, you're going to get pushback, right? Kettle Marte is kind of viewed as a star player. He signed a big extension a few years ago. Uh, $76 million, or actually this year, $76 million. Um, the question is, can Kettle Marte stay healthy? Similar to Chris Bryant, right, in the sense that, you know, he's had a couple of big years, but Kettle Marte's best season is uh, 6.2 wins above replacement. His career wins above replacement is 16.5, and he's played for now seven years, seven full seasons in the major leagues. Uh, his one good season is almost 40% of his career wins above replacement. Uh, Not only is that kind of indicative of the guy not being able to stay on the field, but also it's indicative of some inconsistency, right? I mean, his last five seasons, he had a 105 WRC plus in 2018, a 150 in 2019 when he had that, you know, MVP level year, then 94 in 2020, admittedly the shorted season, 140 in 2021, but only in 90 games. And then last year he played 137 games and had a 102 WRC plus. So, you know, this is a guy who's very Babbitt dependent, but, you know, he's being projected at over three wins above replacement, and he's only hit three wins above replacement one time in his career, and that was when he got six wins above replacement. I I just have a hard time viewing this guy as being a reliable, you know, leader and table setter for Corbin Carroll and and Christian Walker in this offense, where it's, you know, he's just he's not always on the field. And when he is, he's somewhat unreliable. That worries me when I'm looking at a team like the diamondbacks, like they need solid improvement from all their players, right? You need that 20, you know, 19 version of kettle Marte, but we haven't seen that version of kettle Marte. So, you know, I, I just wonder if, if he'll be able to get back to that. I wonder if he's really the right guy to be leading this diamondbacks team, but they're committed to him. They're paying him. You know, he's he's got that talent in there. It's certainly possible that it comes back, but I th- feel like he's more of the guy that we saw last year than I do that he was the 2019 guy. So that's what I'm worried about. Matt, how are you, who are you worried about for this Diamondbacks team? Well, 
I mean, again, in a similar way to the Marlins, it's not that I'm really that worried about this player. I think it's just the fact that I know we know what he is now, and it's not good. And it's Madison Bumgarner. Um, I, I, I'm not one of those people who just has always had a hatred for Madison Bumgarner like some people have, but he is the worst contract outside of maybe Patrick Corbin and Strasburg. I think he's the worst contract in baseball right now or he has been since the since it was signed. He's been awful in Arizona. I mean, in 2020, he put up a 648 ERA. Granted, that was just nine starts. But 2021, a 467 ERA in 26 starts. And this year, in 30 starts, he put up a 488 ERA. And the metrics hate him, too. I mean, the metrics are saying that those are pretty accurate numbers. Um, I mean, his velo is still kind of there-ish, but he's just not the same guy. He doesn't strike people out anymore. His control's not as good. He's getting the, People are lifting the ball off of him a, a lot better than they ever have. And I mean, he's just not a very good pitcher at this stage. And, you know, for the Diamondbacks, it's kind of surprising that they are just going to have him eat up some innings here early in the season because this team is one that, I mean, they could end up on the periphery of a of, of, a, of a wild card race here. I mean, they have pieces. So, you know, you would like to see them maybe have brought in a different veteran, but of course, Madison Bumgarner is getting paid a lot of money. So, I mean, if you're going to bring in somebody you're not really sure about, it's probably not the best idea either, but um, he is, uh, you know, one other thing I'll say to him is for, he's a guy who at, at the stage of his career, he was at when they signed him, he was kind of a mid rotation starter. And, He's the type of guy – he's the warning sign for signing one of those kind of mid-rotation type starters that doesn't have a lot of stuff uh, to a big contract, even if their results have been pretty decent. So I think that teams maybe should take that you know, take that a little bit. And he's still got another year on his deal after this year too. So um, you know, pretty rough uh, pretty rough for the Diamondbacks to be paying that $17 million you know, per year here for the next two years for pretty much nothing. But – uh, but anyways, who do you have, Damian? Uh, a guy I have is Zach Davies. Zach Davies is – last year he had a 409 ERA, but he is not a good pitcher unless he's pitching against the Dodgers, and then he is prime Greg Maddox for some reason. Um, I don't know what voodoo magic he has done, but every time he plays the Dodgers, it's like five or six – innings where they only have like one hit and then he happens to go even deeper into a game. And that's usually his average and keep him to like one or two runs. It's every single time it's inevitable. We it's a running meme in our chat that every single time Davies is going to pitch, they're going to lose the game. Uh, the Dodgers are going to lose that game, but man, he's just not, he's not been a great pitcher. I, I don't even think the, his peripherals the last year were that great either. A 456 ERA, a 483 FIP. Uh, a 457 xFIP. I mean, his last decent season was 2020. I mean, even in in 2019 when Milwaukee hit a 355 ERA, but all his other peripherals were at like five. So, you know, Davies being the number four starter for the Diamondbacks. I mean, we don't really expect them to be a contender, but he's uh he's pretty rough to to throw in there. I'd rather just throw your young guys in and see what you have rather than giving Davies a you know, two year deal or whatever they gave him. So, 
so David, who do you, or what's your, uh, your grade and your outlook for the Diamondbacks this year? See, I got it unmuted. I think we're good. Uh, my grade yep. is going to be C plus. Um, you know, I like some of these moves that the Diamondbacks made. I might even change it. I might even go up to a, to a B minus here. You know, I like this off season for them. You know, I like, grabbing Kyle Lewis on kind of a buy low, right? Coming off of potentially a, a rookie of the year back in 2020, but you know, not the, the best 2021 or 2022. I like Gabriel Moreno and, uh, and Lourdes Gurriel think that was a good trade for them, even though they do give up a, a promising young player in Dalton Varsho. They got some good bullpen signings, right? I love the Andrew Chafin signing, but I just, I don't think they have enough in terms of the bullpen. And I I know this rotation isn't there with Bumgarner and Davies still in it. So, you know, and I do like the Corbin Carroll extension as well. I think that's a really smart move uh, going ahead and getting him paid like a superstar. Now you've kind of, he's, he doesn't have that, that pressure to, to perform and he can actually jump in there and, and have a good time and, and lead this team. You do hope he, you know, is able to, to take advantage of these new rules. So, I think this team is going to actually be kind of exciting. They have a lot of outfield depth. I think they have a, they could have done a little more with it. Uh, I think they could have maybe swung some trades, maybe gotten a, a different starter on board, you know, but ultimately I like this team. I like where it's going. They have, they do have a clear direction right there. They're on their way. They've got the, the superstar talent on this team. It's just a matter of finding those complementary pieces. You really probably want Alec Thomas to perform you want Guriel to be able to kind of anchor this lineup. Like, you know, they just, they're, they're missing a few pieces and I think they probably could have been a little more active, but overall, I mean, a good off season and a, and a good outlook. I, I would say this is probably not a 500 team yet, but they're probably a 75 to 80 game winner and they'll be a tough out in this division, right? They're, this is a, a good division and they're a lot better than some of these other teams that we've been talking about in terms of fourth place. Um, you know, I, I, I like where they're at. They're going forward, but this is more of a, a 2024 and on type of contending team. We'll, we'll see what Corbin Carroll's like rookie year has to say this year. Uh, so, Matt, what's your outlook for the Diamondbacks? Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm on a similar page as you are. Um, I gave him a B minus. Um, I, I I like Andrew Chafin. I think he was a good signing. They needed help in the bullpen. Uh, I actually really like the Evan Longoria signing as bringing in a veteran into that clubhouse. Uh, that's been around a long time, and he's still not a horrible piece to, to have in there, especially platooning a little bit. Uh, you know, he, you know, had a 115 WRC plus last year. He was injured a lot. He's been banged up a lot the last couple of years. I mean, he's, you know, 37 years old, so you kind of expect that. And uh, but he, he's, you know, I think he's a good piece to add. He could honestly provide a little bit of production for you, even. And at worst, he's a great clubhouse guy. Um, and I mean, I, I like, um, I like those moves. I think they tried to add to the bullpen a little bit with, with obviously with Chafin, but with a couple other guys, they signed a big league contracts. I do think they got the better of the trade with the blue Jays. Lourdes Gurriel is a guy that I, I think has still got something in the tank that maybe you could make some tweaks to his game and he could end up kind of breaking out, being one of those late breakout type players. But even if not, he's a fine DH slash corner outfield type guy. And I really liked bring, bringing in Gabriel Moreno. Uh, you know, uh, Carson Kelly's kind of struggled the last couple of years, and I think that you might be able to move on from him soon. And Gabriel Moreno could be your catcher of the future. Um, and I, I, I like this team. I, I think they're pretty good. Um, I like their lineup a lot. Uh, as David mentioned, Alec Thomas is a guy that I think 
you know, I think sometimes people get over- overlooked when a guy comes up and isn't an immediate superstar that they kind of overlook him. And Alec Thomas was a top prospect who last year wasn't this, he, he didn't have the best rookie year ever, but he was not overmatched at the plate. Um, I, you know, the, they've got a bunch of guys kind of like that. I, I, we'll see. I, I like the Corbin Carroll extension. Uh, although I, I do caution people with, with Corbin Carroll just because I think he's going to be great. But he's also a rookie who's never really been in the big leagues other than like the last two weeks last year. So, uh, you know, I think I don't want people putting unfair expectations on him as a rookie, even though I think he's got a good shot to be the best rookie in the National League. Uh, he's got a good shot at rookie of the year. It, it's just kind of like, you know, sometimes guys ha- do have growing pains, but um, but we'll see. I mean, if everything hits, I think this team could end up over 500. You know, they've got some some pieces there. I do worry a little bit about the bullpen and then, you know, those the, the back end of the rotation. But uh, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm excited to see what this Diamondbacks team does. And I think that they probably were wise not to spend a lot of money this offseason. But next year, they probably will have a better idea of where their holes are going to be and what they need. And, and honestly, like the starting pitching market next year is a lot better than it is this year. And I think that's probably where they're going to end up having to fill in spots. So uh, definitely uh, definitely an interesting offseason. I think they could end up a, as a 500-ish team. Yeah, I think they can make a run for 500 um, record as well. I gave them a B. I said they could be a sneaky team, but probably not a wild card contender. Um, I really like the Corbin Carroll extension. Uh, you know, obviously, I think Cattell is going to have a little bit more of a bounce back here than what he did last year. Uh, Jake McCarthy was a really fun guy to watch last year. I'm excited to see him get a bigger role uh, this year. Gabriel Moreno is going to be that X factor. I think Carson Kelly is going. I think he's going to have a, a better season, but I think he's going to lose the job to Moreno pretty quick. Um, and in the back end of that rotation, I mean, it's worrisome with, with Davies and Bumgarner, but some of the young guys they have with like Ryan Nelson, Dre Jameson, Brandon fat, I'll be really excited to see if they give them a, a run runway this year to see what they really have in those three guys. Um, and then another sneaky option, which I don't know a lot of people are really talking about it's Kyle Lewis. I know he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, but if he can, I mean, when he was, he won rook, AL rookie of the year. I mean, I I don't know. I think he could be a really another sneaky option for this team if they're able to have a outfield rotation of, you know, Carroll, Thomas, McCarthy, Lewis, and then even if Rojas has to play out there a little bit. Um, I think that's really good. And even Guriel, you could play him out there if you need to, but he'll most likely be the DH. Um, but I think it's a team that's on the rise. I think they're going to be a lot better than people give them credit for. I think they could fight for a 500 record. And then absolutely what Matt said, I think they are going to be big players in free agency in the next year or so. Um, Especially Bumgarten only has one year left after this year. Maybe they're able to get off that contract, but we've seen them spend big with Bumgarten with Grinky. They're not afraid to do it. I think they'll, you know, try and forge out another one this next year to really jump into that contention with the top two in the division. Uh, but let's go ahead and transition over to the San Francisco Giants. So, David, who do you like on the Giants? Yeah, so I went with their their ace pitcher, and I, I just really wanted to talk about the best pitcher on each team for some reason. So uh, third one in a row, I'll talk about Logan Webb. Uh, two seasons in, and Logan Webb looks like a really solid starting pitching option at the top of your rotation, right? He's a, He's been very reliable in both his seasons, right? Once he came up in 2021, he stayed there. Uh, he pitched all season in 2020. He pitched all season in 2022. He pretty much hasn't missed any time. So, you know, this is a guy who 
has gone in and and found a way to get success despite not having you know the the nastiest of stuff he he has pretty solid command he throws strikes he throws strikes with movement he's able to deceive pit, uh you know hitters with the cutter the change up and the the slider um you know to to pair with a fastball that doesn't wow anybody right but he's able to make it work and i think he uses his ballpark to his advantage he's able to get a ton of ground balls uh, and so, you know, between that and being able to kind of pitch in AT&T Park, I, I think it might be Globe Life now. Um, one of those. It, it's they, they changed the name on me. It's Oracle. Oracle, Oracle Park. Um, yeah. Logan Webb's been able to to, to carve out a, a really good career. Last two seasons, 290 ERA, 303 ERA. That's in like 400 innings pitched. I mean, you know, he's... He's really looking like a, a top end of the the rotation in the NL like starter, and I, I feel like he's the kind of this biggest success story of this Giants, uh, this new Giants like pitching infrastructure uh, with developing these 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 pitchers, and you know they're trying to remake a bunch of other guys in this rotation. Logan Webb's the only one under age, I think, thirty one, but he's he's already the top guy you know age 26 season i think he could even take a step forward from where he was last year i really like logan webb and i don't feel like enough people are talking about him because he's the top of a rotation in the in the nl and at a 290 ere last year and kind of wasn't on anybody's radar so he's a he's a good pitcher uh matt who do you like uh on this giants team yeah i, I agree with logan webb too i think he's really good and i think he might have just gotten overshadowed a little bit by rodon last year who was insane but uh, I think he's going to be really good again this year as well. But the guy, the guy I went with uh, is Alex Cobb, and man, he's a fun story. This guy was striking out like six guys per nine innings for like five years in a row. Couldn't stay healthy at, at all, or even to a decent level. And then in 2021, he he went to the A, the uh, Angels, and you could start to see his stuff ticking up a little bit and. He started striking people out a little bit more, and you're like, wait a minute. Are we sure? Is, is this real? Then last year, he decided to come out in spring training throwing like 96 miles an hour, which was by far his career highest velocity. Back in his like early days in his career, he was throwing like 91, 92 averages. He was throwing 95.3 average last year velocity, and it took him a little while to kind of get, you know, kind of rein it in, but... Man, he had a great year last year. He put up a 3.73 ERA and 149 innings, which he does still need to pitch a little more volume. I'd like to see him start, you know, get to you know those 31, 32 starts and get up in that 170 to 180 innings, uh, 80 innings range. But this guy threw, he, he had a 280 FIP last year. He had a 61% ground ball rate, and it's really, really crazy to see how good he's turned in turned out to be after just some adjustments after all the injuries and stuff he went through i mean having to pitch three years in baltimore didn't help him i mean that was probably miserable their pitching development up until very recently was absolutely awful um alex cobb is a really good pitcher and i think he's going to have another great year his second year in san francisco i think that's going to be big for him you kind of saw that with uh you've seen that with several guys that get into that system and and really their stuff ticks up and they start to pitch a lot better. And uh, I, just, I think he's going to have a, a very good 2023 as well. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't call him the staff ace just because Logan Webb is there, but he's he's not far from being an ace there, and it's really fun to see. Yeah, Alex Cobb, it's been wild watching him with the Giants the last couple of years um, and what he's been able to kind of revitalize his career there. 
but another guy hoping to kind of revitalize his career there is Michael Conforto. Um, you know, he's had his years with the Mets and he's looked like a prolific power hitter, uh, was supposed to be a big free agent last year and then hurt his shoulder, uh, had to sit out the entire season. Uh, and he's back now. He's looking healthy in spring training. I think he's already hit five homers. I could be four or five homers already. Um, but other than even without the power, he's looked just really good at the plate. Um, it's going to be really fun to see him in the division. He's always been one of my favorite players to watch, um, being able to watch him more this year. I, I hope that the, you know, the Bay doesn't hurt his power numbers all that much. Um, you know, the right wall, right field, tall right field wall. Hopefully he's able to still hit them out over there. He could opt out. Uh, so you could see the big year, but I mean, what his last fully healthy season he had, which was in 2019, he hit 33 homers in a 127 WRC plus and had about four and a half wins uh, above replacement there. So uh, I'm really excited to see what Conforto can do, especially having to, after having to sit out all of last year, uh, if he's able to come back healthy and, and have the same power he, he had because the shoulder injuries, that's not a, always the easiest thing to to come back as the power. Uh, but David, who are you uh, worried about so far? Yeah, so this San Francisco team is kind of worries me all in itself, right? I mean they they went from winning a hundred games in twenty twenty one to eighty games in twenty twenty two, and uh, I don't think they got a whole lot better this off season, right? I mean they lost their best pitcher, like you mentioned, in uh, Carlos Rodon, so. Uh, the, the pitcher I'm worried about is maybe the guy they signed to replace him and Sean Manaya, right? He was not good down the stretch for the Padres. In fact, in the playoffs, he was kind of coming out of the bullpen and he gave up some, a ton of runs. He was just not good. Um, and then in this spring, he hasn't been particularly good either, right? He's given up six runs in, in like 10 innings or something. So, uh, you know, Manaya just hasn't had it since, you know, back in the Oakland days, um, and in in 2021, I guess was his last really good season. But you know, last year, a 4.96 ERA, maybe a little bit of bad luck there. But I, I just I feel like the command is starting to get away from him a little bit, especially once he got to San Diego. And uh, you know, he wasn't as reliable in that starting rotation, and that's why they moved on from him and didn't re-sign him. And uh, you know, maybe the Giants can unlock something. You know, their pitching development has been really good, but. Uh, he's been trending the wrong way for a few years now. And for a guy who was only 30 coming into this off season to get, uh, such a small deal, uh, with the giants where he only got two years, 25 million. That's a little, a little worrisome to me as well, where you'd think a guy who with a pedigree of being a pretty good pitcher coming off of, you know, maybe a down year would still get a, a three or four year contract, but for him to only get the two years, uh, that's, that's pretty risky to me. I think uh, MLB teams know that there's some, some a little mechanically wrong with Manaya right now, and it's going to be up to them to fix it. And I'm worried that the Giants won't be able to. So, uh, yeah, Matt, who you got for a player you're worried about? Yeah, I, I, I want to add one thing on Manaya, and I kind of said this going into last year too, when he signed with the Padres or he got traded to the Padres. He's only had one season that he pitched more than like more than 55 innings that he had a sub four FIP in his career. So it's just kind of one of those things where I, I think he might have been overvalued a little bit before last year, and then he was awful, even worse last year. But anyways, the guy that I went with, uh, I went with Joey Bart. Uh, I know that he's probably catching a lot of hate, and just about everybody's worried about him, but this is a guy that I think is 
they were expecting him. I mean, he was what the second pick in the draft. And I remember watching him in college and the guy was really, really good in college. He was a top prospect and swing and miss happened to him and swing and miss got worse and worse and worse as he climbed up the ladder. Like, I mean, in AAA in 2021, he went straight to the big leagues in 2020, which was kind of crazy to do. Double A in 2019, he struck out like 25% of the time, which was pretty, pretty high. But he got to, you know, the big leagues. And I think they just screwed up his development. They rushed him too quick to the big leagues. He struggled in that short 2020. 2021, he was in Triple A most of the year and was injured part of the time. He struck out 30% of the time in Triple A. And he just never really figured it out. I mean, last year he was injured a lot. 2022, he played in 97 games, had almost 300 plate appearances, a 38% strikeout rate at the big league level. You just can't do that. He did put up a 90 WRC plus somehow. I guess, I mean, he still hits the ball hard, but, um, you know, the, the big thing for me is that this is a guy who, when he came up, like, there was some swing and miss concern with him, but you were kind of thinking, hey, worst case scenario, Mike Zanino, like he's going to swing and miss a ton, but he's going to have that raw power hitting a lot of home runs, but he's and he's going to be like an elite defensive catcher. Like that's the worry, was worried with him. And defensively, he's just been okay. I mean, like his framing's been slightly below average and his pop times aren't great. His throwing people out of the base paths has just been okay. Like, he really, I mean, it hadn't been enough to make up for the fact that he's been so atrocious at the plate. Now, the 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 good news for him is he is only, you know, he's twenty six, going to be twenty six years old, but he's only played like a hundred, you know, one hundred ten games at the big league level. He's missed a lot of development time, so I guess it's not time to completely give up on him. But this is a make or break year for him. He's had every opportunity in the world. He's going to have every opportunity in the world and and with the Giants because, I mean, the other option is. Roberto Perez, I think, is their other catching option. So it's not like they have like tons of other options at catcher. They're just going to kind of have to roll with with Bart and see what he's got, see if he can improve. And, uh, you know, I think that's a little bit worrisome for them. But uh, you never know. Maybe he figures it out. But but I'm definitely worried about their catching situation. And, and Joey Bart's a big reason why. Yeah, there's – I mean, they need Bart to work out or even Blake Sobel. Um, yeah is another one that they're, that could potentially, um, you know, be that catcher this year, but they're still trying to find that replacement for, for Posey. Uh, the guy I went with though is Brandon Crawford. Uh, he's been a stalwart there, uh, for them. I think the 2021 tricked people into thinking Brandon Crawford is really good when that was like his career year. And he was at age 34. He found double his career power almost. I mean, I know he had the one season with 21 homers there, but other than that, it was just barely double digit homers. Most of his career doesn't get on base a whole lot. He's one of the best defensive shortstops uh, in baseball that has kind of slowed down the last couple years. Uh, but he, his main thing is health. I mean, he's already, he's already battling injuries again this year. And then in 2022, I mean, he was, down to a 231 average, a 308 on base, an 87 WRC plus. Like, father time is catching up to him, you know, at the plate. Uh, he's not the player that was 2021 Brandon Crawford, and he, even his production from his his days where it was like 2014 through like 2019, there, um, it's even fallen a little bit farther off of those numbers. Uh, so Brandon Crawford's a player that I'm extremely worried about heading into. 
this season. I think it's his last year of his deal. So maybe we uh, we see a swan song for Crawford. Maybe he this is the uh, the end of his his road. So hopefully he can have a good season. But uh, I don't. I'm not too excited about what that could possibly look like. Uh, but David, what's your outlook for the Giants? Yeah, so let's recall that the Giants had Carlos Correa under contract for, I think it was like a day. And then, you know, the medicals came back and they end up not signing Carlos Correa to that contract. They were also the suitor for uh, uh, Aaron Judge, end up not getting him either. Uh, you know, this offseason is all about missed opportunities. And they went and signed Mitch Haniger, They went and signed Michael Conforto. Um, but ultimately this is an offense that doesn't do anything for me here. I think it's pretty mediocre at best. Um, the pitching staff is a lot of old guys and Logan Webb. Uh, you know, those guys are, you know, have upside, like we talked about with Alex Cobb, but ultimately I don't know that I trust anybody in this rotation except for Webb. And I think that can prove problematic, you know, when they're playing in a division as tough as this one. Right. And then, you know, the only thing they added in the bullpen was Taylor Rogers to, to pair with Tyler. And maybe the, the twin power will, you know, do something, you know, they'll be, they'll be really good, but Rogers was kind of bad down the stretch in, in Milwaukee. So I just, I find that the giants are trying to tread water in a division that they're not going to be able to win. I think even with 90th percentile outcomes, uh, I think this team collapses uh, and they start trading some pieces and trying to just kind of improve. I mean, it'll take, it, I don't even know that there's a scenario in which I would pick this team to win the division. And then I don't think that they're going to make the wild card. I, I just don't like this team very much at all. Uh, I'll give it a C minus on the off season, but it would have probably been like an A plus with Carlos Correa or Aaron judge. Um, you know, it's just they, they, a lot of missed opportunities and I feel like they won't make the playoffs or they, I, I don't even think they will be in contention. Uh, I think the Diamondbacks might even leap over them here. So, um, Matt, who, what do you got for the outlook on the Giants? Yeah, so I, I gave their off season. Um, I gave their off season a B minus. I liked. I liked some of the moves they made. I thought on the pitching side, they made some pretty good moves. I do like Taylor Rogers because I think that last year he had some bad luck in Milwaukee. That's a tough. That's a tough pitcher's park. Um, he'll do better in 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 San Francisco. Um, I think that Ross Stripling is a really good signing. He had a good year last year in uh, in in Toronto, and I think that he is the type of guy that the Giants do really well with. Uh, I didn't love Shawmaniah, but I, I do think that he's a guy that maybe the Giants are able to work with a little bit. They've worked with some of these lefties that have kind of like not like super normal mechanics and in, 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 in explosive stuff, kind of like Alex Wood. And Shawmaniah could be a guy that they might be able to work with a little bit to at least turn him into like a league average starter again. Um, and then, I, I mean, so I, I like some of their moves. Um I mean, I did not like signing Jock Peterson to $20 million. I mean, accepting the qualifying offer. I mean, good for Jock on getting that much money, but that was kind of crazy. Um, they signed way too many corner outfield pieces. Like, they signed Jock, Michael Conforto, and uh, and Mitch Haniger. Like, that's three corner outfield pieces. I don't really like the build of their team in that way. Um, I think that that, that – I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, they – the one thing to look at with this Giants team is I think at the plate, they're going to be pretty good. I think on the mound, they're going to be pretty good. But last year, 
they were horrible defensively. Uh, they were by outs above average. I believe they were like minus. They were minus thirty-two outs above average, which was third worst in the big leagues. And I mean that that's pretty rough. Their UZR was minus per one fifty was minus five point three. Um, they had a really rough year defensively, and I don't think they improved that. They might have even gotten worse on, on that. So I think that uh that that's kind of rough. And, and where I see them at this year. I think that they are a – I think they're in a similar wins range to what the Diamondbacks are. I've kind of, they've got some pretty good pieces. I think they'll hit decently well. Um, I think they'll pitch pretty well defensively. I think they're bad. I do trust the Giants organization to get the most out of a lot of their these players, and I like their depth. But at a certain point, I just don't think there's a ton of upside talent here. So I kind of see them as like a third or fourth place team. And, and, and like David said – this is that type of team that I think 2021 might have been a bad thing for them because they really needed to be in some form of a rebuild. And I think that now they're kind of trying to throw together big league pieces that aren't really like – that don't fit all that well together just to kind of put a, a somewhat uh, a competitive roster out there. But, I mean, I, I really don't think that they have the upside in, in this division or the and they don't really have the assets in their farm system to really improve – to the level of being back to being like a, a World Series contender. So, I mean, if they had maybe signed an Aaron Judge or Arson Judge like they did, I, I think that that could have put them back in that playoff consideration. But I, I'm just not super high on this team right now, unless they have some 2021 magic again. But I just don't really see that happening. So I think they're a third or fourth place team and somewhere right around maybe slightly below 500 is where I would guess they, they end up. Yeah, the Giants are one of those teams that are they're either hit or they're miss. Um, you know, I gave them a C for the offseason. You gotta give them credit. They shot big. They went after Judge, thought they had a deal lined up there that fell through. They had a deal with Correa and that ended up falling through. You know, they thought they were gonna get Rodon back, that fell through. Like just they they shot big and they just weren't able to do it. And then they transitioned to super risky options. You went to uh, you know, Michael Conforto, who we already said has been out for the past year. You went to Mitch Hanniger, who's had a problem of staying healthy. Uh, you went to Sean Manaya, who hasn't had a great, um, you know, couple, last couple years. You have, um, you know, you brought in uh, Alex Cobb a couple years ago, who he's been up and down. He looks good, but will he, you know, be able to stay healthy for, uh, you know, healthy and effective for a long period of time? You have uh, Alex Wood and Ross Stripling. You, you just got a bunch of guys who are they're they're good major leaguers, but are they the good enough type to get you over the hump? Not really. Can you know what you're going to get? Some of them are going to be pretty volatile. It just it's one of those teams that like they're going to be good or they're going to be bad, and I'm just not sure that, that they're lined up to be really good this year. Um, they're going to have to shoot continue to shoot big in free agency to try and get it. Cause like Matt mentioned, they don't have a lot in the farm system. Um, I know you have like Luis Matos and uh, Luciano, but outside of that, there's not really much there. Uh, it's a team that like, they're probably going to be around a 500 team, um, but it, it's going to kind of be a fight between them and the Diamondbacks for who's fighting for third in this division. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump over to the San Diego Padres and David, it's one of your favorites. Yeah, I know. I, I have to. I, I can't not. I can't go through the San Diego Padres uh, talking about Manny Machado, man. I 
I love this whole team. I love this team construction, but Manny Machado was second in MVP voting last year, and he did it with his best career offensive season to this point. Uh, and that's kind of surprising given that he's hit 30 or more home runs five different times already in his career uh, and before last season. Uh, but last year, he he really did get uh, the most out of the high exit velocity that he's kind of known for. I think he sacrificed a little bit in terms of aggressiveness at the plate. He struck out a little bit more, but it translated into more extra base hits. It translated into more you know deep counts and, and more walks as well. Well, like a, like a better quantity of walks and, and a better batting average. Um, you know, the, the advanced stats don't love Machado's 2022, but I like the changes that he's made because he doesn't have to be like the stalwart in this lineup anymore. He's protected by so many big bats around him with Bogart, Soto, right? Uh, you know, Tatis, Cronenworth, right? This is a lineup that is just packed with stars. And Manny Machado last year was the biggest and brightest one of those. This year, the expectations are that he's probably going to be a really good player. He probably won't be an MVP candidate. But the thing is about Manny Machado is that it's all that on offense. And he's one of the best defensive third basemen in the National League, maybe with the exception of Nolan Arenado, right? Like he's extremely good at third base. He's still hyper-athletic, even as he hits age 30, right? He signed a huge extension with the Padres this offseason as, as well. And he's a guy who at age coming into his age 30 season has 47 career wins above replacement. Um, you know, there aren't a ton of like surefire Hall of Fame type of guys. Manny Machado just needs to keep playing. And I think he's he's like on his way in. Right. Like this is one of those guys, you know, we talk about like Trout's in right. Kershaw's in Manny Machado is going to be in into the hall of fame. It's just a matter of whether or not, you know, he can do it, you know, in the next two or three years, or does he need to play it all the way out to age 40 and, you know, get to a certain milestone in terms of home runs. He's already going to hit 300 home runs this year, as long as he gets health, is he stays healthy. And I don't, Roland was at like 330 or something like that, you know? So I just, I love Manny Machado on a hall of fame trajectory. Can't wait to see what he has in store now that he has even more, you know, support in that lineup around him. So, Matt, who you like on the Padres? Yeah, I'm going to go with Xander Bogarts. Um, I think that I, I like Xander Bogarts. I thought that he was a lot closer to being the best free agent. Uh, I think he was a lot closer than people gave him credit for to Correa and to Trey Turner. I don't not saying he is Correa and Trey Turner. But last year was the best season of his career by wins above replacement. Um, he was very good last year. He was slightly worse at the plate than he was in his career best uh, offensive season in 2019. But this guy last year, his power was down a little bit, which is a little bit worrisome. But his defense last year was really good. And that might just be some defensive noise. Uh, sometimes defensive metrics can be a little bit weird. But last year, he put up five outs above average, which more than doubled his best career season. So I don't know if that's some actual improvements he's made or if it's just like, like I said, defensive noise of some kind, but he was really good defensively last year. UCR per 150s actually liked him pretty well for in, in a lot of his career. Uh, but he, um, he, if he can put up defensive seasons like that a, a few more times, he's going to be 
really, really good at the plate. I think he's going to be consistent. I don't know if he'll ever put up, you know, 500 slugging percentages again, but, you know, if he can keep putting up a 370 on base, like, I think he's going to be, he's one of the most underrated shortstops in the game. Uh, I, I don't think people give him have given him credit for being the star caliber player he's been in Boston, and I think think it'll continue maybe not to that six wins above replacement level but he's going to continue to be an all-star caliber shortstop in that four you know four to five wit war type range for for at least the next couple of years so i think that he's uh, a very good player he's going to add a lot to the to the san diego padres lineup yeah he's going to really help lengthen that team um for mine all right look i could have went one of the easy options with soto or tatis or Hater or you Darvish. I'm not doing that. If you guys have listened to the show long enough, you'll know where this one comes from. I'm going to pick Blake Snell. I'm not going to pick him to win the Cy Young like I did in, what was that, 2021 or whatever. But Blake Snell quietly had his best season since his Cy Young season last year. And he ended the year on like 80 innings of like a 219 ERA. Um, we know Blake Snow will have his blow-up games. We know that he'll give up a ton of homers in some games. We know some games he'll walk five or six people in the first couple of innings. But then you're going to have the other games where he's lights out. He's going to strike out 12 people in seven innings or whatever. I, I was really encouraged by what he did in the second half of last year. And then watching some of the, uh, the Padres' Uh, spring training games, especially when he had to face the Dodgers. Uh, they talked about how he kind of reworked his slider a little bit more to make it look more of a, a strike longer. Uh, he's always had a really good slider, but the problem was is it would always just fall right away, right out of the zone. So when it was on, it was just nasty because if he could locate his fastball, it made it the slider look really well out of the hand compared to the fastball. But if he's able to make it look like a strike more often for longer before it falls away, um, that's going to really, really help a lot, especially if he's not able to locate his fastball that day. If that's a pitch that can look like it's in the zone more and then fall away before that and the same arm angle slash slot as the, the fastball, I think that's going to help Blake Snell a lot. So I'm really excited to see what he's able to do moving forward with that slider. And if he's able to you know rectify and, and bring what he brought in the second half over to a new season, and bring that up because the Padres are going to need him. He's going to be their number three in that rotation. You know, Darvish is getting up there in age. You got Musgrove, who's already broke a toe. And then the rest of that back into that rotation, it's really risky. It's Michael Waka, It's uh, Nick Martinez, Seth Lugo. Two of those were relievers last couple years. Um, and then you have Waka, who it took him a really long time to get a contract. He had a good last year, but he's bounced around for a couple years before that. So I'm excited to see what Blake Snell can do moving forward this year. But no, I'm not going to pick him to win the Cy Young. So we can get over that. Uh, David, who do you uh, who are <laughs> who are you uh, worried about this year? Yeah, so I'm the most worried about this catching situation. But this is going to be the shortest segment of the whole thing, right? Austin Nolan, Luis Camposano are fine. Uh, but the rest of this team is a lot better than fine. It has a lot of high-end skills. Nolan Cabasano are not the greatest defensive tandem, and I think that maybe the, the only flaw in this offseason was that they didn't pull in one of the more defensively-minded catchers. Uh, overall, I think they'll be fine. They'll, you know, 
likely be all right. I think you Darvish is pretty trustworthy with his own pitch mix. And then the other guys aren't, you know, guys who need the edges in terms of framing. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll be all right, but yeah, I can see them go for a catcher. This is the only part of this team. I don't like though. You know, this is a really good team. I think the rest of it is pretty, pretty sound. So uh, Matt, who you got for being worried about when it comes to this Padres team? Well, as we've talked about, I've been watching the World Baseball Classic, and Nick Martinez is the guy that I'm going to pick. Uh, I could have picked between like half their pitching staff, but Nick Martinez is the guy that I went ahead and said I need to talk about him. Uh, last year, he put up a good ERA at a 347, but this is a guy who he came over from from I believe he was in Japan. Uh, he's either in Japan or Korea. I know he was in, in Asia pitching for, for several years. And he came back in 2022, signed a pretty decently sized contract. Uh, I believe it was three years, $26 million. So not a huge contract, but it's, you know, some form of real money uh, with the uh, with the Padres. And he, he pitched 106 innings, split as a starter and, and reliever. And he was just okay. Uh, he had a good ERA, but a 443 FIP, a 404X FIP. It's pretty solid, but he wasn't anything like super special. And I don't especially love his stuff. I watched him get torched in the WBC, so that might be part of the reason that I'm talking low on him. But, um, you know, I think that kind of the big thing for me is if you're relying on him as a swingman, that's fine. But he's going to pretty much be like start the season as like your number three in your rotation with Musgrove Hurt. So that's definitely worrisome for me, you know. And I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's you could have picked several of their pitchers, but I think Nick Martinez is the one I just decided to go with. I mean, I could have picked Michael Waka too, because I think last year was fool's gold for him, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Just to back you up a little bit there last year in 2022 in about the same amount of innings, just a couple difference for, for Nick Martinez as a starter, a 430 ERA with a 269 uh Average against as a reliever, two sixty seven average with a two o or two sixty seven ERA with a two o nine average against, um, and a three fifty seven on base percentage as a starter and two seventy one as a reliever. Uh, he's a guy who could be really good as a reliever, but as a starter, is a, a pretty yikes. Uh, the the position group I went with was the the projected DH platoon between Nelson Cruz and Matt Carpenter. Um, you know, Nelson Cruz, we've talked about him for so long. He's entering into age 43 season. Uh, the power kind of dipped last year. It was still really good against lefties, which is most likely what he'll be playing against. But I'm just worried about what he can do, you know, if he's strictly a platoon player. I mean, it's a it's a weird role to be in. We'll see there. Carpenter, uh, you know, he's a guy who over the last couple of years was signing minor league deals and was basically forgot how to hit. And then he went in and had like 170 plate appearances for the Yankees um, and hit like 15 homers there, which were like half of his hits. And most of those were like Yankee Stadium homers anyways. And then he was able to get like a three year deal for like six million dollars a year. Um, I don't know what that platoon is really going to look like. I know Carpenter's probably going to have to play. Uh, the outfield to start the season at least uh, while Tatis is still suspended. But that, uh, that DH, you know, platoon situation really scares me. Although like David mentioned, who needs it when you're going to have your top four in your lineup is going to be like Tatis, Bogart, Soto, Machado. Like 
you don't really care about what your DH is going to give you at that point. Who's going to be your seventh or eighth best hitter in your lineup. But uh, anyways, David, what's your outlook for the Padres? Yeah, this, this might be my favorite team that we've talked about and we're, we're almost at the end now. So I would probably say the Padres might be my world series favorite. You know, the, the way this lineup is constructed and, and the rotation is constructed is just so solid. Um, you know, hater anchoring the back end of the bullpen, right. You know, a plus in the off season outright. I mean, they extended Manny Machado. They signed Xander Bogarts. They're spending money like a massive market team and San Diego typically not known as a massive market, right? I mean, that's not even a, a city that's been able to hold a, an NFL team. So to have the Padres operating in this way, showing everybody, this is what it's about, right? You want your team to go out, acquire, you know, pay the big price to acquire a superstar like Juan Soto, go out and pay the big contract to a guy like Xander Bogarts, right? That's how it's supposed to be. You want your team to be doing this. Um, it's awesome for Padres fans. It's awesome for the city of San Diego. I, I do hope that they, you know, they were in the NLCS last year, almost made it to the world series. I hope they can get there this year, but at the very least, I think this is a team built to win the NL West. One of the toughest divisions that we've, we've talked about and definitely one of the most interesting. We're already at like an hour and 10 minutes and we haven't even talked about the last team yet. So uh, I'll, I'll cut it off there. A plus on the off season, probably the best off season in baseball, just, in terms of, of adding impact to your lineup and impact to your rotation, I think they did a great job. You know, Waka at the very least, he'll be the fourth starter. You know, they got Musgrove coming back from injury. Ultimately, I'm fine with that, right? They got grabbed Lugo, Martinez. One of those guys will relieve. One of those guys will be the fifth starter. It doesn't really matter. Like, they're they're in good shape. I, I really like this team. So, uh, Matt, where are you at in terms of the offseason outlook? Well, I, I don't. I guess I'm gonna to have to be the pump the brakes guy a little bit here, but I give him a B plus for the off season. I thought it was really good. I I, I just praised Xander Bogarts for like five minutes, but I'm gonna say that 11 years for Xander Bogarts, he's gonna be like 41 at the end of that contract. And listen, here's the deal with the, with the with these contracts, like these long term. You're gonna these guys that they've signed Manny Machado is, is similar to me. These guys and you Darvish, I can't believe they give him six years. But these guys are gonna be, they're gonna be Miguel Cabrera's contract in six years. So that's the back half of like the Padres have basically said we're gonna win now and we're gonna limit what we do in five or six years. Like we're gonna be awful in six years because we're gonna have like hundreds of millions of dollars tied up in payroll for guys who aren't going to be good anymore because they're going to be old. Father Time's going to get all of them eventually. So did they do it? The question for me with their offseason is, did they do enough to where like they're going to win a World Series in the next two years? And I don't know. Like the, like y'all mentioned, the top four in that lineup, Bogarts, Soto, Machado, and then Tatis if, when he comes back are really, really, really good. I mean, now there's there's question marks with Tatis though. Like he hadn't played in like what two a year and a half, two years almost. Like he spent a lot of 2020, 2021 injured, didn't he? Like the end of twenty twenty one, and then last year didn't play at all. So we're worried a little bit about Tatis. How's he going to do? He's going to play the outfield now. Like that's different. That's something new to him. Um, you know, and then like the rest of their lineup, like. Nelson Cruz and Matt Carpenter being in there, both of them. I mean, the catching situation y'all talked about, Trent Grisham can't hit. I mean, 
like I it worries you a little bit. I mean, and then you know they're gonna have that great top four, but I don't know about the depth in that lineup. And then you look at their pitching staff, and you've got you know you Darvish is thirty seven years old. I think he'll probably be good this year, but is he gonna be the same guy? I don't know. Waka, I think is just fool's gold. Like the rest of the rotation is an injured. It, Musgrove will come back, and I think he's really good. I like him. But then you've got you know Seth Lugo in your rotation. Like that's kind of crazy. And then the bullpen's going to be good at the back end. Hater's really good. I like Suarez. I like Garcia. But I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I did call this the my, my division favorite. I think they're the best team in this division. But I would not call them the World Series favorite. I think that they're very good. I think they're a contender. I think there's a shot that they win the World Series, but I do think that there are some limitations. And I think some of the contracts they gave out, while I like bringing those players in, and I think it's going to be really, really good for them for the next couple of years, I think those are pretty bad long-term contracts. So that's why I gave it a B plus. I have a hard time giving an A plus for a contract that I'm pretty certain is going to end up eventually being really bad. So I like this team. I think they're really good. I think they're the division favorite here. But I do worry a little bit about some of their um about some about some of the facets of their offseason and and I think they're a, but I think they're going to be very good this year. Yeah, the Padres the you know, they had the run last year. They beat the Dodgers. They knocked them out of the of the playoffs. That was a massive massive boost for them. It was it was pretty much the the time where they're jumping in and they're tired of being little brother to to the Dodgers who had just dominated them the past few years, um, and then now they're jumping in and their owner is he's going all out. He's like, look, we already beat you guys last year. Now we're gonna we're gonna throw all the money at it. Basically, what you guys uh, or what everyone thinks you guys do, we're gonna do it. We're gonna we're gonna spend all the money. We're gonna sign every player that we can. We're going to give out these massive contracts and, you know, we're going to go for it to win right now. And if we don't win right now, that's, it's going to be a problem because there will be a handful of years and, you know, not the too long future that they're going to be a team hamstrung by a lot of this, you know, there you're going to have Bogarts till he's 41. You have Machado's deal. You have Tatis's deal. You have Darvish's deal. And then there's still the potential Juan Soto is going to be a free agent after this year. You're going to have to sign him. Uh, you know, there's Shohei, who's everyone expects the Padres to be in on that as well. Like, I know he's throwing around the money, but at what point are is is the limit here? I don't know. But they saying all of that's being said. As far as 2023 is concerned, they are the favorite in the NL West. They are probably the favorite in the National League. Like, when you have that top four in that lineup, and then you still have good hitters in Drake Cronenworth. Hassan Kim really did a pretty decent job last year as well. They're going to be a good defensive team in the infield. Like Cronenworth, Kim, Bogarts, Machado, that's going to be lights out. Having Trent Grisham, who is still one of the better center field defenders in the game, that's going to help. It's going to be risky on the corners um, with with Soto and Tatis. We'll see with that. The, the top three in the rotation there, when you have Darvish, when you have Snell, when you have Musgrove, that's really good. That bullpen's going to be scary. You would expect even somebody like Seth Lugo to jump to the bullpen in you know later on the season into the playoffs. I think this team's really scary. I think they're going to to push the hundred game mark. They might even blow over the hundred game uh, mark to, for wins this year. 
it's really, really good. And it, I hate that they're in my division, but it's going to be absolutely fun to watch those games this year because, uh, you know, the Padres push back. They're not the little brother anymore. Uh, LA's not going to go down there and just dominate it anymore. Uh, they're, they're here and they're going to be here for the next few years. But uh, speaking of LA, let's go ahead and jump to them. So, David, who do you like as far as the Dodgers are concerned? Yeah, I'm going with uh, the catcher, Will Smith. Uh, I am a big fan of Will Smith's. I think he's a, uh, like, you know, probably one of the best offensive catchers in baseball right now. Um, you know, he's not quite as polished defensively, and they, they tend to keep around a guy like Austin Barnes to, uh, you know, be the defensive catcher for the pitchers that prefer it. But last two seasons for Will Smith played, you know, just over 130 games, 500 played appearances in both, 25 homers both years, 130 WRC plus, you know, not bad defensively, obviously. I mean, he's put up good numbers, but he's, he's, it's certainly not his forte. He's much better as a, you know, an offense first catcher, but he's been very reliable, very consistent. Uh, and the type of guy that the, the Dodgers can pencil in, you know, every, you know, four of every five days or something like that as a, you know, your, your catcher and your, your main bat in the lineup, you know, one of your top three. So uh, I think Will Smith's kind of unheralded given some of the success of the players around him, right? When you're, you're surrounded by Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman every day, you know, you're not necessarily going to stand out, but Will Smith's one of the most important players on the Dodgers. And uh, he's been really consistent and really reliable. So, um, you know, I, I think that kind of goes unsung for the most part, you know, reliability. We talk about it all the time, but then when somebody is reliable, I don't think we point it out as much. So Will Smith has been extremely reliable the last two years. Love that really good player should be able to take up even more of an important offensive role in this lineup with uh, the departure of a bunch of guys this off season. But uh, Matt, who do you have for your like on the Dodgers? Yeah, I, I picked uh, I picked Mookie Betts. And the reason I picked Mookie Betts is because I think people have just kind of like forgotten how good he is. I think that sometimes just he's not quite as flashy as some other players and he just gets forgotten about like around I think not us but somebody who everyone talks about Soto and everyone's talking about Trout and Otani and I mean I don't think he's quite as good as Otani but he's a top 10 player in baseball and nobody really talks about it at all so I think he's really good um I mean he put up almost seven war last year I don't think he's ever going to repeat 2018 where he put up 10 more, but he's probably going to have another MVP caliber season in him at some point. It might be this year. I was watching a game the other day. They were talking about, I think it was the World Baseball Classic game. They were talking about how he had been in driveline trying to increase his uh, swing speed some and try to improve his power, and that kind of showed up last year. He hit a career-high 35 homers last year. I think Mookie Betts is extremely good, and I kind of think that he's, you know, might have a, another like insane year in him at some point. So um, I figured I'd pick him because he doesn't get talked about as much as some of the other guys that the Dodgers have had and uh, some of the other superstars around the game get talked about. Look, we don't need to go over Mookie Betts here. I'm like number one on the fan club for him. So. Oh, I know. Uh, but the guy that I picked for the Dodgers this year is Max Muncy. Um he really struggled last year. He was coming off the year of 
uh, tearing his UCL in his right arm on the last day of the season in 2021. Um, couldn't play in the playoffs. Couldn't rehab all of, or you know had to rehab all of last year. Couldn't really train for uh, in the off season. It really hurt his swing. Um, he came in just trying to find the swing that didn't hurt rather than the swing that was good for you know for his game. Um, in the second half of the year, he kind of adopted more of like a step back approach to the plate uh, to kind of clear his hips a little bit more, kind of found the power again, kind of, you know, the swing a little bit, not quite to the level of what it was before. Um, but then this off season, he went to driveline as well. A bunch of the Dodgers went to driveline this year, um, really focused on, you know, trying to, to get back to that similar production and his results in the spring have looked really good. He's also going to be a guy who benefits from the, the shift ban um, quite a bit, uh, but he's hitting like 300 this year. I think he's already had like four doubles. He's hit a homer already. Um, like he's, he looks a lot more locked in at the plate this year. I'm excited to see what 2023 is going to be, especially with the shift ban there. And they need Max Muncy to step up. This team has lost a lot of talent offensively this off season. They need him to get back to the Max Muncy. He was in, you know, the 2020, 2021 season. Um, and be that, you know, 30 homer bat because he's going to be hitting probably cleanup or fifth in this lineup every single day. He needs to be a major run producer for them. Uh, but as far as players we're worried about or situations we're worried about, David, what do you got there? Initially, I, I went into this and I went, oh, I'm not going to have anybody to be worried about about this Dodgers team. And I kind of looked at it and I realized I had a bunch to choose from. Um, this is definitely the one of the weaker Dodger teams that I've seen in a while it's between David Peralta and just everything about their shortstop situation for me. And I went with the shortstop situation. Uh, Gavin Lux getting hurt is a huge blow to this team. Uh, you know, they're going to go with Miguel Rojas. They made the trade already. He was supposed to kind of be their bench utility guy. Uh, you know, and I like Miguel Rojas, but he's 34 years old. He hasn't had a good season in a couple of years. And even his good season is, you know, uh, a pretty mediocre overall season, right? Like a 90 WRC plus, you know, up to two wins above replacement. He, he's just not a uh, huge hitter, an impact player, the kind of guy that you expect out of this Dodgers team. Um, and then, you know, they've got Miguel Vargas. He'll be okay. They might play there a little bit. Great Chris Taylor. We talked about him already. I, I just don't know now what they're going to do. And it sure looks like there's this hole at shortstop where Trey Turner vacated. And then, you know, Gavin Lux was supposed to fill that now, you know, that's going to cost the Dodgers this season. And, and I just, I don't know, man, that, that really worries me. You know, Miguel Vargas might be able to, to turn back the clock a little bit and uh, be a really effective player. But I, I am worried that the Dodgers have kind of, you know, played with fate a little bit and, and are going to pay the price due to, to Lux's knee injury. Um, but Matt, who are, who are you worried about, about this Dodgers team? Yeah. The guy I'm with is uh, a guy who was extremely good last year and it's Julio Urias. Um, the reason that I'm worried about Julio Urias is because last year he put up a 216 ERA, but his metrics weren't even close to that. He had a 371 FIP and a 381 XFIP. Um, you know, he's not an overpowering pitcher. He doesn't strike out a ton of guys. He's, you know, at eight, eight and a half strikeouts per nine. Uh, get, a lot of balls get put in play against them, which doesn't help, especially with the shift uh, being gone. 
Um, and he had a super high left on base rate last year at 87%, so which was like by far highest in the major leagues. And in some ways, that's a skill that he's able to, you know, you know, get clutch up when the when the when he gets guys on. But at the same time, like I think that sometimes having that, you know, super high left on base percentage is just not super sustainable he also had a super low batting average on balls in play against them which is also i think a little bit unsustainable when the major league average is 300 on balls in play and he's giving up a 229 batting average on balls in play which i mean a good pitchers are going to get weak contact and get a lot of you know and have a lower babbit but it's way lower than career normals for him and also it's you know pretty unsustainably low so I think that's he's not a 216 ERA guy, and I think people who are kind of counting on him to be like a Cy Young contender again are probably going to be a little disappointed. So that's why I picked him. It's not that I don't like him. I think he's a good pitcher. Um, I think that he'll be, you know, a low to mid three ERA guy, which is really good. I'm not trying to dog him. His velo was also a little bit down last year too, about a full miles per hour on average. But I think he's a. I think he's going to be good, but. Expecting Julio Urias to have a 216 ERA again and be a Cy Young contender again, I think it's just kind of, you know, unfair to him. So I, I'd probably say he's, you know, more. I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't believe him in, in him to that level. So I figured I'd pick him as my guy. I'm a little bit worried about. Yeah, he's due for some regression, um, for sure. He was a guy that I thought about picking just because. The, the Dodgers are going to rely on him this year. They relied on him a lot last year. He's going to have to be a horse in that rotation again. Um, he's going into his free agency year. So, you know, usually players have a good bump there, but um, you're, you're obviously going to get regression from a guy who had a 216 ERA and the peripherals didn't quite back it up last year. Um, and, and, you know, with the Dodgers being one of the most defensive, you know, analytical teams with the shift the last couple of years, um, losing that, you're, it gives you even more room for pause um, about a potential Julio regression. Uh, the guy that I went with though is Chris Taylor. Um, you know, he had signed that big contract. I believe it was after the 2021 season. Um, came into last year and was going to have to play a big role. He battled some injuries. Only played 118 games. Um, you know, hit 10 homers, but the strikeout rate. He's always again a guy who strikeouts strikes out uh, quite a bit. It was always about a 28 in between 25 to 28% guy last year, jumped to 35%, um, you know, two twenty one average a three Oh four on base, only a 93 WRC plus. And this year in the spring, it hasn't looked much better. He's looked absolutely lost. I believe at one point he was like one for 18 or something. Didn't have an extra base hit. It was like point Oh, 91 on the average. And I think it was like 10 or 11 strikeouts. Uh, he did hit his first homer the other day, I think on Friday. But he's going to have to play a major role for this team, especially now with Lux out. Taylor's going to probably play some shortstop, some significant time at shortstop, I would imagine. Um, the outfield's already pretty crowded. Adding Taylor out there, you could have done. But, um, you know, they need his bat, and they need his bat to get back to the, you know, 2020 level. 2021 level um, to be that player that they're going to need that utility kind of guy to bounce around. And if he's not curing those strikeout rate, those strikeout concerns, um, it's going to be really, really rough 
uh, for this team moving forward. And he signed for two more years for big, big money. So they need him to, to be able to produce. Uh, but David, what is your grade and your outlook for the Dodgers this year? Yeah. So we, we've joked about it, right? But this off season absolutely is the 2015 off season of the year, right? JD Martinez, David Peralta, Noah Syndergaard, right? Uh, Shelby Miller, you know, they, Jason, Jason Hayward, Hayward, right? They, they absolutely nailed it about seven years ago. Uh, right now, you know, J- JD Martinez, I like, I really, we went over that signing back when he signed. I, I really, really like it. I think he will be a big impact bat at DH for the Dodgers this year. Um, but I don't really like the rest of this offseason. I think it's the issue for me is that they let Trey Turner walk and they didn't replace him with anything. And they kind of were like, well, we're just going to let Gavin Lux take it. Well, now that Gavin Lux is hurt and it's Miguel Rojas, it doesn't look that good on paper. You got to play the games, obviously, right? And this is still a team, I think, that wins 90-plus games, right? The Dodgers are an elite organization with a top of the lineup that is just superb. Um, But I do worry they've been battled by injuries, right? I mean, Bueller's already out with Tommy John. He'll probably be out all year. Gonsolin's still hurt. They did make a trade for J.P. Fireisen, which I really liked. But Fireisen should be out for most or all of the year, right? So I, I just... A lot of this, this team is gearing, it feels like they're gearing up for 2024, right? And we know who the big free agents are next offseason. And I feel like the Dodgers are, they reset the luxury tax this year. At least they're trying to, you know, I, I feel like they've, they're, they're made their clear what their plans are, which is 2023, we'll, we'll do our best. We'll see what happens. But if we don't win, it's not really that big of a deal because we know what we're going for in terms of 2024. Um, so, you know, I think this team has a chance to win the division. There's certainly the other option with with the Padres, but uh, I think they were they're definitely second expected, and they're they're almost certainly a wild card team. Um, but you know, the, with the injury bug biting and and some other things, this is definitely the weakest Dodger team we've seen in a while. So, um, you know, and, and it's funny that a down year for the Dodgers is like a 90 plus win team, and you know, uh, oh well, they only have four good pitchers instead of eight, right? You know, like that, that's the kind of situation we're at right their bullpen's still going to be good right everything's about the team is still good it's just not 110 wins good and and that's the the question is is how far up can they really get with this kind of change of scenery for a lot of these players so uh it's a new look and it'll be interesting to see for sure this year but uh matt what do you think about the dodgers this year yeah i'm really low on what they did this offseason i think that it made sense for them this year with some of the departing players they had and, and just kind of the way this season, like, you know, maybe players that we knew coming into the off season, were going to be missing a lot of the year, like, like Walker Bueller. Um, I think that it kind of made sense to reset the tax this year, which apparently they failed to do. Um, I think that was kind of their goal and for somehow they didn't achieve that goal. Um, and so I thought that was kind of like, the direction seemed to be let's reset the tax and then just go all in again next year. But it seems like they didn't do that. So what are they doing? And I think that signing some of the signings, they may just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like Noah Syndergaard, I just don't think is a very good signing. I mean, he's wasn't that great last year. He was okay. I mean, he's a back into the rotation guy at this stage. His velocity's not very good anymore. Um, you look at, uh, you look at some of their lineup. I mean, I think David Peralta was a pretty fine signing. He's a good platoon bat, but 
I don't love the J.D. Martinez signing. I mean, it's a one-year deal, so there's not a lot of risk to it. But, I mean, again, if you're trying to reset the luxury tax, then you just blew it for J.D. Martinez. I mean, if that was your goal, like, why would you do that? And then I think there's a few question marks with this team more so than just – if you look at their lineup, they have two players in their lineup that are – in their projected – opening day lineup that are below the age of 30 years old and one of them is will smith who's 28 and the other one's miguel vargas a rookie the others everyone else is above 30 years old and most of them are above 33 like max muncie's 33 this year freddie freeman's over 33 jd martinez is 35 david peralta's 35 miguel rojas is 34 like and then you look at the rotation and you got kershaw in there and He's kind of going to be your. He's going to have to be your ace this year at 35, and he's struggled with some injuries. And I mean, the bullpen I think will be good. One other thing that I kind of wanted to point out with this team is they've been able to get away with some things defensively because they were so good with positioning stuff like playing Max Muncy at second or third base. And I don't think that's going to work out as well anymore because the positioning options are limited. But I mean, I still think this is probably a playoff team. They'll find a way to do it. They're the Dodgers. They're they're a playoff team until they're not. But I mean, I do worry about this team. I mean, like your outfield, your starting outfield is going to be David Peralta at 30, 36 year old David Peralta, Trace Thompson, and then Mookie, of course, who's great. But like, there's a lot of holes on this team, and and the it's just it worries me a little bit. But we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I think the big thing for the Dodgers is maybe maybe a couple of these young pitchers that they've got, you know, in the upper minors could can come up and they kind of need to reset their, you know, they need a little bit of a reset. They need some youth movement. And I think that some of those prospects they have in the upper minors could help with that a little bit. So maybe, maybe that could be kind of the thing that propels them this year, but this is a, this is an interesting year for them. So um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Your head scratching on the luxury tax is completely because of the Trevor Bauer situation. Yeah. Um, They got backlogged last year. Uh, from the money of when he was suspended, and then they have to count his full salary on this year's, um, uh, this year's books. So if that was not the case, they would have been able to reset the luxury tax pretty easily. Um, but at that point, you still have to improve your improve your team. Like you can't just sit above the luxury tax already and then just be like, okay, we're not going to sign anybody. Um, so you go out and you sign a DH to a one year deal. You sign a platoon outfielder who won the gold glove in the NL last year uh, to a one-year deal. Like, yeah, the shortstop situation, you know, you, you, we can say if ands or buts about, Oh, well they should have done more. Well, they had the plan and Lux, they got injured. They, they traded for their backup to be the utility guy. They, you just got to jump in with that at this point, they'll still be a team who will be aggressive at the deadline. If they need to go get a shortstop. We, that's one thing we've, we've seen them do. When Corey Seager went down, they went in and traded for Manny Machado. Like they're a team that's always aggressive at the deadline if they need to be to go get the big fish. I don't, I don't think that that would cause them to not do it again. I mean, we might even see them make a trade before the end of the spring training to get a shortstop in here. There's already been some kind of rumors flying around about LA kind of being interested in maybe a Tim Anderson deal. Um, so we'll see about that. I. This team is not going to be as talented as the the 2017, 2018, 2020 teams. I think it's still talented enough to to make a run 
you can get into the playoffs. I mean, we saw last year, I think this team's more talented than the Phillies team that we saw go to the World Series last year. I mean, they're, they're, the talent is still there. There's a bunch of question marks. The outfield is 100% one of them. Um, you know, is Outman going to play? Is Trace Thompson going to play? Is Taylor going to play? You aren't sure about that. You know, there's been a lot of praise about Miguel Vargas at second base, but that's a new position. He's looked good defensively so far, but you need to see what that is going to look like in a full season. I'm not really worried about Muncie at third base. Played it a bunch before. That's his natural position coming up. I think he'll be fine over there. But there is a ton of question marks around the majority of what this team is going to look like, and health is going to play a major factor into it. You need these guys to be able to stay healthy, especially these aging guys. You have young talent, but I don't think you have the young talent to jump up and make an impact this year um, like you have had in years past. They kind of seem more like a couple years away. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see this team. It's going to be interesting to see the the rivalry you know, kind of start brewing between San Diego. It's not a rivalry yet, but I think it will potentially become one soon. Um, so, but like you said, it's it's one of the the least talented teams, but we know what they're kind of going for. It's it's gearing up for twenty twenty four for them. But uh, that's going to wrap up the NL West talk. So I know we've already went pretty long here, but anything else you guys want to uh, hit on real quick? I think next week we're nope. going to have our. Uh... I, say, I think next week we'll have our official preview picks or pick everything episode because week after next is opening day. So be fun. Yeah, I believe next week is actually opening yeah, day. Yeah, well, yeah, later in the week next week is what I mean. Like yeah. after next episode is opening day. So our last episode yeah. for opening day. So, um, yeah, that, that'll be great. Uh, I think uh, I think we're all trying to get out of here so we can uh, watch the end of this World Baseball Classic game. It's been a really good game. So, it's pretty fun. David, you got anything you wanna you wanna hit on real quick? Nope. Let's do it. See you guys all next right. week. Yep. Thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next week.